Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 3 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome once again. This is our 101st podcast and hey, we're back with our you know, kind of whole team from start to finish. Megan Rawlings is back with us. Um, Tina Bruner is with us. John Teal, our producer, is with us. And I'm Kevin Witham. Uh, happy to be a part of this team. We're going to talk more about uh, just the past two and a half seasons or so of Common Ground Unity. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Kevin, do you remember when we did um, uh, Rudy and Fate Haygood? Oh, I loved that uh, podcast. That, now, that was so good, wasn't it? And, and, yeah. and we actually made it into three episodes because it was so rich. And Rudy was working on like four hours sleep, but he was so incredible. Like, I remember this one time when he was talking about, you know, unity is expectation, you know, from mm. Jesus from, from the scriptures. Um, he talked about who we are. It's who we are and it's, it's our DNA. That, that was a great clip and maybe I can share that, but, uh, oh, that and awesome. I'll do that right here. But, but what are, what are some that you also remember? Well, I, you know, I, I'm like you, I love that whole conversation and it was one of those you didn't want to stop. You, it, you just, you wanted to keep going and that's why it spun from two podcasts into three podcasts um, because we had so much more we wanted to, to talk about. Um, and I love, love it about both those guys because here they are brothers and, uh, they crossed the streams of the, of the Stone Campbell movement or two of the streams, you know, Rudy's in a Christian church and, uh, fates in a church of Christ. And there they are in the same city. And then the whole question of, you know, racial equality and, and our history with with racism that whole discussion i think was so important at that time it was so one great. of the things i loved about fate as a fellow preacher you know he talked about his first sermon um as when he was tapped by calvin bowers uh, from pepperdine to preach a sermon and i thought that was uh, pretty enlightening and interesting about how guys were developed so maybe after we hear the clip you referenced you know we could play that piece also of uh, of fate and, and that sermon. So Rudy and Fate, I, I mentioned uh, your two articles, excellent articles, by the way, that you wrote for the Christian Standard in February. Thank you. That captured our attention. So Rudy, I'm going to start with you. Um, you, you wrote in that article, there's, there's just a great quote, uh, it, it says, notice, unity isn't commanded. It is assumed to be in the DNA of believers. 
It is expected. It's at the core of Christian convictions. It is as if unity is the nature of one who has been touched by the Holy Spirit. Could you unpack some of your thoughts behind that statement and, and the article itself? Yeah, let me let me read um, what I'm uh, speaking from. Uh, Ephesians 4 says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, and then it goes into this this beautiful poem, you know, one body, one spirit, and 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 so when you, when you read that, there's no command here for unity. There's 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 this assumption, this expectation, as if it is who you are. It, it reminds me of when I would do something wrong at school, and and my you know my mom or my dad would say, "What's your last name?" Yep. Reminding me of mm-hmm. who who I am, uh, reminding me that you know my name means something. That just just my inclusion in this family comes with uh, a certain DNA or expectation. Um, it's uh, I think I wrote in the article. It's you don't you don't command a human being to breathe. Um, that there's something mm-hmm. greater than a command, and, and those things are um, I think I call them divine assumptions, um, mm-hmm. where. God just assumes that this is the reality of what's going to happen. You don't you don't command a human being to breathe. Um, you might teach him how to breathe better, but you don't command him to breathe. And that's how unity um, is treated here. And uh, um, for instance, um, this idea of, of, of breathing, when, when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, and when you pray, he doesn't ask them to pray. Yeah. Because praying... Mm-hmm. Um, in the body of Christ is like breathing to a human. Um, yeah. It's 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 the nature and DNA of who we are. Um, now, if you got sleep apnea, you might want to learn how to breathe better. Uh, we might want to get better at our unity, um, but we don't get to choose it. Um, uh, Joni Erickson taught us says believers are never told to become one. We already are one and are expected to act like it. And I, I think in uh, we. I think we make unity this side doctrine. Uh, we mm-hmm. make it this thing that um, sometimes we make it this thing that liberals do. Um, and, and I would say it is a core conviction. It is it, it, in all of our convictions, unity um, must be one. So when he high, when he, when he, when Paul highlights maintain the unity of the spirit, um, He's saying we have to maintain God's unity. It's it's yep. it's not ours. Um, we have to be passionate about passionate about keeping unity, because it was never ours to begin with. So from from there, um, I just became one of the boy preachers in the in the city. There was there was a whole group of us back then. Um, from there, I started preaching all over the state, all over the country. Hey, d- describe that term, Fate, because I'm familiar with it. A lot of our listeners may be from outside of Acapella Churches of Christ, may not be. Boy preacher? Yes. You, you... Um, well, well, um, um, Dr. Hogan, um, Dr. Bowers, um, Brother Woody Morrison, several of us, um, they would raise up preachers, and they were all young boys. It started 
uh, probably 40 or 50 years before that, um, where uh, people like uh, Marshall Keeble, um, J.S. Winston um, would would just gather together a group of boys and teach them to preach. Now, with me, it was not as, I guess, as uh, as deep as it was with them. They would literally leave their homes and go live with the older preacher and travel the country um, doing revivals and gospel meetings, et cetera, with the older preacher. And so they became known as, as preachers. Yeah, I love that. I mean, what what an investment in and pouring into young people, and I think there's a great loss of that today. Absolutely. And I'm just always impressed by those those men who went on to become powerful preachers who were discipled in that way. So I just wanted others to hear about that. I was familiar with it, but wanted you to expand just a bit. Yep. There's a legacy there of um, developing um, young men out of the um, Church of Christ that uh, I'm proud to be a part of, because uh, actually, Faye did the same thing for me. Um, I, we were uh, at the, you know, old school, I don't know if you guys still do this, but old school, just, you know, morning service, evening service, you know, that kind of thing. And we're at an evening service is for the real Christians, right? Because, you know, you got to be a real Christian. To come back <laughs> Absolutely. To faithful so sound, brother. <laughs> that's right. So we're at evening service and, uh, you know, Faye gets up to preach and uh, he goes, uh, uh, we are in for a treat this evening. We have, <laughs> he goes, we have three guest preachers that you are just going to love or something like that. And I'm sitting there and, you know, it's, 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 it's the evening service. So, you know, everybody. And so I'm looking around and I'm like, I was excited because I, I you know, I'm like, okay, who are these guys? It's going to, and I'm looking around and I don't see anybody that I don't know. And I go, oh no. <laughs> and Faye goes, uh, Rudy. Felix and Lee, you got 10 minutes to get 10 minutes ready to preach. I was like, ah! Oh, oh that's so, great. <laughs> that's how I preached my first sermon. And you know what? I never would have preached if they did that. I'm Man, actually, that is... Uh, yeah, I'm actually an introvert, and uh, it's just something I would have never done. Um, I was a <laughs> little brother to a preacher, so I know how people treat preachers. So I was like, why would you choose that? <laughs> no, you and, you got to be called or yanked into it exactly and so uh so fade uh you know he definitely uh has been formative in my life i'm i don't want to be sacrilegious so i'm gonna watch i know what i'm gonna say so yeah so yeah no. So I am convinced <laughs> that Rudy Haygood's voice is what like Michael or Gabriel sounds like. I don't want to say it's like what God sounds like because I don't want to be sacrilegious, but I'm pretty sure it's a heavenly voice. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a great voice? Yeah. How do you not listen to Rudy Haygood if, preach? If it's true. I talked yeah. like Rudy, I could rule the world for more reasons than yep. one. <laughs> There's certain guys like Rudy where you think, man, I with that voice, I would listen to him yeah. read the phone book, and he'd bring it to life, right? <laughs> if if and you had a phone book, or you remembered what a phone book was. Yes, I'm yeah. hating myself there again, just like the Rubel Shelley book. Yeah. <laughs> and his wife, Osteri, they're just, they are, you know, two gems. They're just good, good people. And doing a lot of writing for the Christian standard, as are mm-hmm. you, Megan. They're they're 
writing some good stuff on this in the standard. Good stuff. Hey yeah. Tina, do you do you remember when we did the Mars Hill thing? What what are your recollections about mm. that? Okay, every time I think about that, the first thing that comes to my mind is well, two things come to my mind. Hit in the face with a wet squirrel. Yeah, Alicia <laughs> singing something about you know, it's like getting hit in the face with a wet squirrel. And I was like, excuse me? I'm not really sure what that's like. But also, all of her books she always referenced. Like at the end of every podcast that we would record, one of us would be like, okay, what was that book? And then Kevin Holland would say, I wrote down this book. And Ben Brewster would say, I've got this thing. Alicia was always giving us like expanding our reading list for sure. But in that series, it was a little bit intimidating to try to look at that situation at Mars Hill and try to find the lessons we can learn without throwing more like shade on the church and, you know, uh, discounting the good that was done while also calling out the damage that was done. And I, I loved how there was like diversity in our voices and the authenticity. And one thing that stood out to me was in the episode of that's just the way men are. And Alicia was talking about like, as a woman, like the Mm -hmm. constraints and the expectations and the limitations that are put on women in ministry and in the kind of discounting of our call. Um, And she shared in such a transparent way. I hope we'll share her clip. But then the other thing that was super important to me, and then as she kind of ended her story, she said, what does it mean to be a Christian man? And so it wasn't, it was in such a spirit of like really seeking, like what does this mean? And the sweetest thing was Kevin Holland's response to her. And so I feel mm-hmm. like in that sense of the moment in time in our little contribution to this discussion, just the modeling of her being really authentic about like her, her lived story. And then having Kevin, who's an African-American man that is so strong like talk about what the power of her story meant to him and the tenderness that he received her story with just to me was like, okay, this is the beauty of the church. And when we have conversations that are hard and how it can heal. And so that there were so many times when that happened in our conversations, but I just that makes me love this podcast even more because there wasn't anything about it that was trying to make a point about who women should be in the church or what men should. It was just like, these are our stories and this is how we can hold them with each other in a way that is loving and, and in a spirit of learning. And I I just really loved that. I did too. That was one of the most impactful times. I mean, I just remember, oh gosh, just the emotion that 
that you could hear just in her voice as she was sharing her story. And then Kevin's response was incredible. I asked my wife the other day, what, what was one of your favorite episodes? And she, she talked about that episode, that it was so impactful. So let's get started. And I wonder if, uh, Alicia, if you would start out our conversation today and talk about what the big picture of this issue is and maybe even why we came up with this title for this episode. Ooh, it's a big topic. It's, it's very personal for me. So I think I'll, 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 I'll segue and tell two stories. Early in our marriage, um, the elders called my husband into their office, a couple of elders, and they talked for 30 minutes and the conversation went something like this. These specific phrases stick in my mind years later now. First thing was, it must be tough living with someone like that, referring to me. It must be very hard to wear the pants in your family. And then the call to action. You need to man up and control your wife. That was a hard day in our house. (laughs) And when I went privately to some women for counsel, they said, oh, that's just the way men are. The second story I would tell is how when the the clip was aired on TV about uh, Mr. Trump and the grab him by the the P was talked about, I posted on my Facebook page a thank you to the men that I know who are not like that. They don't talk about women like that. They don't interact with me or the other women that I know personally like that. And a couple of Christian women who I hold in a high regard contacted me privately and uh, admonished me for speaking negatively about Mr. Trump. And the, the gist of it was men talk like that. Oh, that's just the way men are and that I needed to get over it. And here's the question I have for men who might be listening to this and women who think that, what does it mean to be a Christian man? Why do strong women stand oppositionally? Why do we think about male and female in the 2D, that for women to be strong, men must be weak. And so we've inserted a hierarchy. Women are subordinate to men. I read the scripture, I don't read it that way. We're we're all created in God's image. And yet, when I raise that as a point of question, I'm told, that I don't understand scripture. And so the male voice becomes the arbiter of the hermeneutic accuracy. 
Um, finally, the other aspect of this, and, and my strength has always been seen in many, in many venues has seemed to be in, been a question of concern. I've been, a, I'm 60 years old. I've been a believer since I was a little girl. I wasn't even in my teens when I was baptized. I pray. Sorry, I'm getting so emotional. I pray. I read my scripture. I meditate. I seek God's voice. And when I say, I think this is the way I need to go, I'm responding to a life of faith and a sense of obedience to God's call. And I don't understand a man or a woman who can look at that and say, you're wrong. You're not a man and therefore this is wrong. And I don't understand the dismissiveness of my spirituality and my lived experience of who God is and his call on my life. I don't get it. And because so of your gender. Because of my gender. So when people say, oh, that's just the way that men are, I think there's a lot at stake here with regard to how women are perceived and the judgments and the dismissiveness of their lived experience in terms of who God is and the call of God on their life. Who stands in judgment of women? <laughs> this is These are the questions I have. So, oh, just the, the way men are. Is this really who Christian men aspire to be? How do they define masculinity? How has culture influenced their, their definitions of masculinity? These are the things that I'm thinking about today. What are some of your responses, guys, to what Alicia has said? Well, I can just start and uh, say I can't uh, thank you enough, Alicia, for sharing what you did. And um, it just, uh, the power of a story from your life and those two quotes uh, from which we derive the title really moved me, even though I know Obviously, we prep for this subject, and I've listened to the podcast, Mars Hill podcast, and as we've talked, but just even in the hearing of you recount the story, I, I felt it differently. It hit differently because I have not been in a conversation like that hearing those words. So it just, rem I guess I would just say I appreciate your um, courage and honesty to speak on lived experience. It's not theory. It's not, you know, coming from some, some idea of how the world is. It's actually hearing from uh, fellow believers. And so uh, it's moving, it's poignant. It's, it's also heartbreaking to think about being in an ecosystem or in an environment or a culture that is characterized that way, but it just speaks once again to the blind spots that, um, you know, there's, there's not a tribe, a Christian tribe. There's not a Christian that doesn't have blind spots. And, um, I, I, I feel like, uh, you are ministering to me and to all of us, 
about really addressing these things. So personally, I'm really grateful and I'm, I'm heartbroken thinking about how many multiple times uh, women have experienced those things and how many times uh, unwittingly or wittingly um, our gender and I and others have, have uh, been a part of the problem and not calling those things out. Hey, everybody, we'll be right back with the rest of this episode. We want to take a moment to thank Mission Alive and Central Christian College of the Bible for sponsoring this episode. Mission Alive equips leaders to start innovative communities of faith focused on transforming marginal communities. They provide church planning training, apprenticeships, consulting, and discipleship cohorts, among other resources. They can also train you to be a nationally accredited coach through Catalyze Coach Training. This 28-week credential will equip you to impact and transform your church organization leadership and ministry. Learn how God can transform your life and ministry by going to missionalive.org. That's missionalive.org or emailing them at contact at missionalive.org. And Central Christian College of the Bible has low-cost, innovative, and flexible master's programs in ministry leadership and preaching that they want you to know about. These two-year programs are designed to be one-third online, one-third on campus, and one-third supervised ministry by an expert in your interest area. The mentoring courses can offer credit in your local ministry. Graduates like Dr. Don Mahardy and Jonathan Curtis are impacting the kingdom in deeper, more meaningful ways because of their education at CCCB. So find out more at cccb.edu front slash graduate. That's cccb.edu front slash graduate. Another one that was really impactful was with uh, Jeannie Shaw and, and, and Rhonda Lowry, which, oh my gosh, that was so good. Really enjoyed that one. And, and you were, I don't know if Kevin was with us when we did that. I think you did that one solo. Uh, is, it, is that right? I think so. Yeah, because yeah, right. it was all the ladies. <laughs> yeah. It was really great. What do you remember about that? Um, I loved I loved both of them because they the um, experience they had was different, and their the way they communicated was different, but the um the message and it was in the spiritual formation conversation which i think is such a timely and and really powerful conversation to have but one thing that uh struck me was when rhonda was sharing that when her last child went off to school and she started to consider if she would go to seminary and her husband um, said the church is not ready for you to go to seminary. And so they began the seeking process. They talked to leaders and elders in their church, whatever. And then it ended up being the wife of one of these church leaders that told her, I need you to go to seminary because my daughter has no role models of women who are trying to understand scripture, who are trying to be like, really full disciples of Christ. 
and I will come to your house on the nights you go to school. I will take care of your kids so that you can do that. And to me, that also is another thing of the way that we need to support each other in the things that are important to the whole church. So, and then, you know, Rhonda talked about when things got hard, she just kept remembering that that woman had said, my daughter needs role models that are like committed to scripture. And so I just, I thought that was a really powerful thing. And then to see what Rhonda did with her education and how she's turned that into so many different ways to minister to so many different kinds of people. And so I, you know, I just thought that's, that was a great way to hold up her friend who encouraged her as well as her who did the work. John, uh, kind of sitting back there in your role, I've often been interested. Are you ever tempted to jump into the conversation or do you ever find yourself saying, oh, I'd love to go, kind of go down that route and throw a question in? Not um, really. <laughs> you know, I was hoping for a really exciting answer to that. Like, it, yeah, you're sitting there, ooh, ooh, let me... Um, you know, you try to- it's a beautiful thing. So I get to be a part of this. First of all, I get to build relationships with these people, you know, because I, I kind of go out, find them. Like you, you might mention somebody or Tina might mention somebody else might mention or I might read something or read an article or whatever. And I, I get to go out and make contact with these people and, and start a relationship, which is a blessing in of itself. Right. Uh, the friendships that I've, I've built and the connections that I've made is just absolutely so rich, so rewarding. Um, so I really appreciate that part of it. Um, so really what so, he's thinking, Kevin, is, all right, you two, don't mess up this great building. Don't act really like what I'm thinking, what, I, what I'm really <laughs> thinking is, you know what, I, I'm an introvert by nature. And I, I just, honestly, I kind of like setting things up and letting you guys talk. So I, but the beautiful thing about it is I get to, I get to build these relationships. Then I get to sit here and listen to you guys have this conversation, which is so incredible. Then I get to edit it, put it all together. And I listen to it again. And then after it's all done, I get to listen to it again. And it's just, uh, for me, uh, I feel like a kid in a candy store. So, and he gets to correct us, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. He gets right. to just take well, out. The also, you time. know, I'm holding, I'm holding all the bloopers right for some day. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, yes. Megan. I don't know about you, but usually the bloopers are always um, me. That's. I'll not, put it this no, way: no, no. the bloopers when I were on, they're uh, soul crushing. They could, they could. <laughs> They could do some damage. <laughs> yeah. I'm usually like, yeah. John, I mean it. Don't yeah. delete that. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Don't delete it. Yeah, there you go. There, there was a time where John very gently, you know, he called me and, you know, he was, he worked it into the conversation that I had uh, said a word incorrectly. And it's always a word that's kind of trapped me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, entrepreneur. And what? <laughs> what did I say, John? I said something like entrepreneurial. You said, or, 
Yeah, something like that. I'm like, that's not how you pronounce that. Yeah, and I knew that when I said it. And it's one of those words that Megan's still looking at you like, what word is it? It's entrepreneurial. 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 And I said entrepreneurial or something like that. So he very so we had to said, do like like seven different you know retakes of, of and we entrepreneurial. Re- yeah. So I had to coach him right. along. So will you will you re uh, record that word for me and I can slip it in? <laughs> <laughs> so I nailed it. I think after the seven try- for some reason I've always said that one way, and uh, he was very gentle in his rebuke. Or hey correct. Megan, you you said. Um, Episode 31 with Bobby Harrington was one that you appreciated. What, what t- tell yeah, us about so that? So, first of all, I love all things renew.org, and I think Bobby Harrington is just wonderful, and I'm super grateful for that ministry. Um, they had Jason Henderson on as well, he's the uh, operations guy. And the conversation, the thing I really appreciate about Renew is that they're unapologetic for what they stand for. And the one thing that I cannot respect or get behind are cowards. And so like, I just really admire backbones in people. I admire courage. I admire bravery and boldness. I know that's shocking to a lot of people, but I appreciate (laughs) that in that conversation, he didn't back down from controversial topic like complementarianism versus egalitarianism. And he also said something that I thought, I I went back and listened to it and I was like, I don't remember him saying that. And it kind of shocked me. Um, He said, you know, there's the saying in in essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty and in all things love. Right. That's kind of part of the restoration movement. And he said, but I completely disagree with that statement. And when I heard him say that, I audibly gasped. re-listening I went you can't say that like that's the closest thing to a creed we got (laughs) so that was a joke that was the joke okay yes (laughs) they all were like oh no she went there (laughs) anyway no creed but Christ no but um he said that and I think it what he said after that just really made me think and it was you know that saying means that there's only essential beliefs and non-essential beliefs. And one of the things that Renew tries to push is that there are uh, important beliefs. There are essential beliefs. Um, I think Jason explained it as things written in blood, things written in pen and things written in pencil. And so everything is not black and white. And just because it's not written in blood does not mean that it's not important. And he said um, it might not be essential for salvation, but it could be essential for the health of the church. I really appreciated his confidence and um, as my degree, my master's is in theology. So as someone who is a theology lover, it's just really good to hear that because so often you hear that theology is not important. It's all about what does the Bible say? And I'm a hundred percent all about, I love the Bible. And if you can't defend it with the Bible, like just be quiet, right? But I think marking off theology because you don't understand it or because you don't want to study it is dangerous. Um, How do you know who you're worshiping if you don't know anything about him? And that's where theology comes into play. So I just really appreciate Renew.org and their ministry for giving the Restoration Movement some theological um, information and resources. 
Well, I think the other thing that I appreciate, and maybe Kevin can talk to this, you know, I, I don't, like they have strong beliefs mm-hmm. and, and yet they're not disagreeable, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think that's kind of one of the things that we're trying to model. Would you agree? Would you agree, Kevin? Yeah, I think, you know, um, you, when we look at passages like Ephesians chapter 4, 1 and 2, you know, you have this statement by Paul about things that are very core, right? I mean, you know, there is one uh, body, one spirit, one father, one baptism, you know, one God and father above all who is over all, um, one Lord, right? So Paul's in this stream, but he says at the start of the passage, um, be completely humble and gentle. So I always admire, I'm, I'm like you, Megan, I like people to have courage of conviction, uh, to speak with boldness. Um, and I like it as well. I, I, I find guests sometimes that I differ with, but I, I, I really, I appreciate um, courage to state one's convictions, especially if it's seasoned with uh, grace and humility toward those that might might see from Scripture a different way to look at something. And I think that's that's kind of what we're trying to model here. Uh, mm-hmm. Dialogue that we want people to have conviction. Uh, without God's Word as the standard, which has been at the foundation of this movement from the inception, we really have nothing to go on. Um, but there are a lot of those areas that fall in those categories that I, I think they use the term, some, con- some beliefs mm-hmm. are personal. And, and then some are more essential and, right. and then those kind of, you said it well, Megan, Important. but uh, sometimes the difficulty is we, we get crossways with one another over maybe putting those in the wrong categories. And we need, just always need to have some humility that in the final analysis, we're just all servants um, trying to understand this well and convey it well yeah. and let, let Christ be exalted. And I agree in. that, you know, you don't have to have the same theology as me to worship with me. It's you, you are totally okay with being wrong in your theology. (laughs) (laughs) You allow for that. I've always appreciated that. So Megan doesn't have any opinions, right? (laughs) Hey, Tina, I have a, Tina, I have a question for you. Um, so we had Newell Williams on. So you, you were actually a guest on that episode, right? So it was you, mm-hmm. Newell, and, um, uh, and Megan's Doug best friend, Doug Foster. Exactly right. Yeah, right, right. That's right. Um, That's when Tina was a guest. Yeah, you were a guest. And and uh, that was a really extraordinary episode, I, I thought. Uh, one of my favorites. Uh, what, what's your recollections uh, about that episode? And what, what, did, what, what did you appreciate? You know, thinking kind of leading out from, you know, what Megan's saying about like somebody having a strong conviction, being able to articulate like why they see something a certain way and having humility. And, you know, when we talk about the streams of uh, the restoration movement, a lot of times in the Christian church and church of Christ, we leave out the disciples because they have more progressive theology around women in ministry, around uh, gender identity, things like that. So then we paint them all with this sense of they don't believe what we believe. So I loved this episode where we talked with 
Newell and Doug, who are historians in our in our movement, who understand, you know, who wrote the encyclopedia on, you know, the restoration movement and all these things and a few different things that that Newell said. And I love the relationship he has with Doug because they don't always agree, but the kinship and the friendship that they share really allows for like, even as they discuss something, I feel like I'm so lucky, like to be able to, to hear both sides of something in such a gentle way because it allows for me to really listen. And so one thing that Newell said uh, in that episode, which is episode 33, is that the unique thing about the Stone-Campbell movement is that Stone and Campbell had radically different views and how two leaders with such different views of two movements that could agree enough to come together. And the beauty they offered is that that we can continue to grow. So like it stepped into, these are what we have in common and these are what we have that are different. There's grow, a growth opportunity for both of us in that. And then he said, I like our messiness. And I just thought, you know, it's absolutely right. And uh, at another point, he said, is it different or do we hold in common And he just started explaining what the beliefs of disciples are. Jesus is the Christ. There's one baptism. There's like the tenets of the faith of disciples. And at the end of that, he said, isn't that where our unity begins? And just in that kind of sharing, for me, who's grown up in a pretty conservative Christian church background and have in, in my role with Global Christian Connection, come across a lot of people who have a lot of positive and negative feelings about different ones of our streams. To hear him articulate in such a gentle way the reason that that unity includes them, in, includes us, includes Church of Christ. And so I just really loved for that to be something that we that we didn't just cut out and not try to hold up like this is you know church of christ disciples of christ is part of our movement and to have newell communicate in such a beautiful way and further on in the episode he talks about the value of coming to the table and you know just imagery that resonates with all of us and so mm-hmm. and it really came again to me that when you're in relationship with people, even if there are differences, that in that relationship, how much more enriching that relationship is to my faith as I listen to him express or listen to other friends who are disciples or Church of Christ who are a lot more conservative than me or whatever, but how it enriches the way that I see Christ and the way that I see the demonstration of the good news of the gospel and the way I see unity lived out with people that don't always agree. And that is the story of our beginning. And so I, I really appreciated that episode so much. Yeah, I did too. It was really good. 
No, but I think you're dead right. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, you know, if Christianity is, if we're going to see true revival and renewal, it begins with unity. And I know that that's, that's what this podcast is all about is unity among the streams and unity over something as simple as a cup of coffee, even though during my time, um, nobody drank coffee except for Kevin and I, but whatever. (laughs) Seems like everybody we asked, Oh, I don't like coffee. Oh, I don't drink coffee. We felt like we were the only coffee drinkers in the Stone Campbell churches. That's why we moved to the lightning round. So, (laughs) Yes, that's right. We don't ask the question anymore. It just got embarrassing. I mean, you know, when your motto is unity begins with a cup of coffee and nobody's drinking coffee. No, Kevin. uh, Maybe unity starts. That's why there's so much (laughs) division. It's because they don't drink coffee. If they would just drink coffee, everyone would be okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's See, right. look at the great drinkers. fellowship here. That's exactly right. All coffee drinkers. I don't drink coffee. Sorry. Well, Coke, oh, Coke Zero. Coke Zero. Now, as yeah. a as a co-host on this podcast, that may not be a confession that you needed to make. Yeah, guys, it's been hey, my fun. <laughs> hey, Kevin, do you do you remember when we did Randy Harris and Steve Kennard? I do. Randy talked about his favorite theologian that's um, underrated and unrecognized, which is his mother. And that was, <laughs> that was, a, that was, well, that, a great that was statement. a great statement. And and he shared some really cool stuff, but then he also shared about leadership and how Jesus um, uh, viewed leadership or that he only spoke about leadership four times, I think. And they were all bad, right? Yes. Right. <laughs> So one of the great theologians in our movement, though not widely appreciated, was my mother. And uh, she would uh, she would say, when somebody asks us how uh, to become a Christian, we know immediately what to tell them. Uh, but when they ask the question, how do I grow closer to God? How, how do I deepen my, my life in God? We really don't know what to tell them. So we give them the big two, read your Bible and pray. Uh, which is not a bad idea, by the way, but she says sometimes it comes off as kind of shallow. And uh, to me, that's kind of what spiritual formation is about, is how to answer that question. How do I deepen my life in God? Uh, how do I how, how do I grow? So in that in that way, it's not, not very uh, different from uh, the way we would talk about discipleship. And spiritual disciplines are practices that help us do that. Uh, you know, they, they don't, the disciplines don't make us righteous. What they do is they make us available, um, and, and create space, uh, for the spirit kind of to work in our lives. So that kind of is a complex of ideas that I think about when I think about spiritual, uh, formation. What are some ways that we can learn how to integrate this head, heart, hands, or this, like being still so that God can speak and and the kind of lives we have right now? Well, I think, um, I, I think it's interesting that if you read through the Gospels, uh, Jesus has basically nothing positive to say about leadership. He only <laughs> talks about leadership a few times, and it's always in the negative. Don't lead life. And his alternative to 
that bad leadership is not good leadership. His alternative to bad leadership is being a servant. And, uh, you know, that, that leads us to think about leadership in a different way. It, it, you know, leaders are those who follow exceptionally well. And so the emphasis becomes on how, how is my following? And, and then, you know, if somebody says, hmm, I'd like, I'd like to come follow with you, not follow you, but come follow with you. Okay. That's kind of, you know, that's kind of what happens. I, and I, I do think, you know, I, I'm, I'm very influenced by people like, uh, well, I guess Henry now and some others, I, you know, ministry is 80% presence and 20% everything else. And, you know, the greatest gift you can give to another person is being fully present to them and God. And people almost never experience that in a world that like ours is distracted. I, I tell people the hardest thing about being a college professor the last few years was there was almost never a moment when I had a student's undivided attention. Sure. And, um, and, and that I had some vague notions about how you do spiritual formation with young adults, but I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get anybody's attention long enough to do any of it. And, um, I, I, you know, and, and pandemics don't create, they reveal. And, you know, in some instances, they, they sort of reveal that we were kind of the church of the worker bees. And you, if you took that away, sometimes things didn't go as deep as you wish they, wish they did. And, um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want less action, although I probably do. Um, you know, I, we, less is not always less. Sometimes less is, is, is more, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're more selective about, about what we do. Um, but, you, you know, simple things like, uh, you know, leaders saying, okay, before we start this meeting, we're going to sit for 15 minutes because we, we want the Holy Spirit to be in our midst and we don't want to be driven and we don't want to be reactive. That's a very simple practice. Um, but it's, it's very hard for the first thing that happens after sitting together before God for 15 minutes. It's very hard for the next thing that happens to be really bad. Um, and so, you know, a, a, few, a few things like that, I think we can kind of, um, kind of build into our lives, but there, you know, there, there are no easy answers, uh, to this. I think a contemplative life has always been hard. I think it's particularly hard now. I think technology is tough. Uh, we live in a world where there are people who get up in the morning, go to bed the, at night, thinking about how to distract you. That's their job. And um, so, you know, uh, I, I, I just hope the church will be an agent to relieve us of distraction, not one more distracting element. Well, we're we're going to have to kind of bring this to a a close. It has been uh, been so fun to be back together with you, Megan. You need to just jump on this podcast and join Tina and me on some weeks. Uh, I know you got a pretty full plate, but uh, we we would love what, that. It's so much fun to be me, together. I will clear my schedule for you. Yes, we will do it. We Done. Will do it. Um, so as as we're kind of coming to a close. 
Um, and by the way, we're coming to a close because our producer, uh, John, yeah. is, is headed Buddy off to Joy. a blues concert. So uh, we want to be guy. sure. Buddy Joy. Buddy Guy. Buddy guy. That's right. So we're, uh, <laughs> we want to be sure he's on time. Um, Tina and Megan and John, if, as we kind of look forward, um, what are some things you think we ought to cover, tackle? Uh, who, who are some people you would like to see us have on Common Ground Unity? And if you're watching this in a way that you could reply or respond to us or, you know, shoot us an email through the website, We'd love to hear from our guests what you would like to hear talked about as well. But what what would you all say in answer or response? I to would that? love to see Common Grounds go outside of the three streams just a little bit, and or four streams, and bring others in Christianity into the conversation of unity. And I'm going to throw out a crazy name. What about someone like Alice Cooper, who is this? huge rock star the whole world knows him he is now a committed christian he is sober um, and part of his journey was praying that he would just god take this away from me um i don't know how i'm gonna i don't know how i'm gonna do it and he said he woke up and there was he just no longer wanted to drink and so that is an act of god i i truly believe in that miracle um but i would like to see conversations outside of um, the restoration movement and just bringing it in to reflect what, you know, Cain Ridge started with this and that's unity among Christians. Yeah. We've always said uh, within the stone camel movement and beyond, right? I mean, that's the prayer of Jesus, John 17, that, that all who uh, profess Christ, you know, build these bridges toward one another. One of the, one of the things that I, uh, that we've been thinking about is, is we're a unity movement that's flowing out of the Stone Campbell movement, right? And so we want to reflect that. It, we don't want to be insular. Um, we don't want to be sectarian, even within the Stone Campbell movement. So I love your idea. And I'd love to bring in somebody, if, if you know Alice Cooper and can get him, we'll, we'll put him on. So uh, I don't know that great. I'm that connected, but I'll That's make a right. couple phone calls and see what I can figure out. All right. Please, please do. <laughs> yeah. Have your people get in touch with his That's people. Right. You were going to ask Tina. Yeah, I'm really interested in the, <clears throat> the Asbury revival and what's happening on college campuses and um, what that could mean for the unity of the church. Um, so I would like for us to track with that somewhat and, you know, I, Asbury's in my home state, but I have been in Poland and so I followed it from afar and the whole time that I was listening about what God was doing there, I just kept thinking, how will that, um, deploy that generation but multiple generations into the work of God in the world. So not this revival for us, but how will this revival movement be part of what blesses the nations? And how, how as the church are we going to shepherd this, this movement? And so I think this is a unique time in the history of the church, not just the Stone Campbell movement, 
And so I'd really like for us to find some intentional ways to, to shepherd, to call into like the greater story of the church and the work of the church in the world, especially in light of the pain and the confusion and the hopelessness and the number of people in the world who've yet to hear the name of Jesus. You know, could this revival movement, could that be part of how God reaches the ends of the earth? So I, I just really am convicted of, of finding ways that the church can um, nurture this, but also move it out of the U.S. So yeah. that would be interesting for me. That's good. And by the way, we, we have something scheduled, Tina. I don't know if you've seen this yet or not, but I, we have a discussion uh, scheduled and it might even air before this airs um, what's going on at Asbury. And we're going to have um, uh, Mike. Um, Mac. Mike Mack. Mike Mack. Yep. Mike Mack on and, and some people, other people from, uh, um, Asbury. And so I'm excited about that, that conversation as well. So for me, I think, um, I'm excited about, we have, uh, Steve Cuss, um, scheduled and he wrote a book, um, about family systems theory, about managing leadership anxiety. And this is an incredible discussion that I'm really looking forward to. Um, so, I'm excited about having him on. Also, John Nugent. Um, I really like John Nugent and some of the stuff that he's teaching and writing about. And so um, he's got a new book coming out, and um, I'm excited about having him come back on. Casey Tigert has a new book coming out, too, and I would love to have him as well. His book is fantastic. We have it scheduled. Good. So... So yeah. he'll be on soon. So yes, excellent. Yeah. So I think we've got some Kevin, great things in store for the next 100. There you go. Kevin, what about Absolutely. you? You know, we, we do a lot on this podcast. It's pretty diverse. We've, uh, we've had historians on that have given us, you know, kind of an unvarnished look at our history. We tend to write our history in ways that sometimes canonizes certain people. And, you know, we've had guys like, Doug Foster and Ben Brewster and Jack Reese, and they've kind of peeled back some of the layers and said, hey, God has used flawed people in this movement. And uh, we've, we've shared a lot of resources. We've talked about a lot of our colleges, small and large, had presidents on and different reps. We've had resource people like Jim Estep of E2, where they're trying to develop leaders. We've uh, We've been able to highlight some of our good resources of media outlets and all the the streams like Christian Chronicle, Christian Standard, Disciples Today. We've had the opportunity to uh, just introduce a lot of people who just make up this movement in different ways, from the academicians to the practitioners and congregations. And and I, as, as I look forward, I, I hope we just continue down the route of not only focusing on unity, but not unity for unity's sake. Unity that, that we may be one that the world might be one mm. and that we not lose sight of the fact that the ministry God has for us is a ministry of reconciliation mm. to make Christ known. And the reason this is so essential is that disunity 
is a barrier to the witness of the gospel and the evangelization of the world. Um, that, that we not become so focused on issues that we lose sight of why unity was so near and dear to the heart of Christ. So I'd like to see us as we move forward, in addition to all the things that have been said here, continue to have you know, faithful practitioners like the two brothers that we just had recently from Spokane uh, and, and say, how is this being fleshed out in everyday congregations? I'm a, I'm a local preacher for a church in Escondido, California, and my heart is still the local church. How does this boil down to things that are practical in the day-to-day life of the church to make it more healthy and to reach a lost world that desperately needs Jesus? So for all those reasons, it's a blessing to be a part of this and to be partnering with you all. Thank you. This has been great. You know, you guys look great for a hundred. <laughs> oh, just because you dropped dropped off from us when you were fifty, you dropped off the dead weight. <laughs> no, I uh, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I've really enjoyed being back with my friends and um, just hearing the great things you guys are doing for unity among the churches. Um, it's just really exciting, and I'm very encouraged by it. So keep up the good work. And for those of you tuning in, make sure to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. But as I always say, if you're not going to leave a five-star review, stay away from the ratings. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax-deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.